recording of the local news brought to you by the Equipment Services for the Blind and the Worcester News. Our service is free, but if you'd like to make a donation towards the running costs or if you have any comments about our service, please leave a note in your wallet or ring us here at Colin Chance House. There isn't always anyone in the office, but leave a message and someone will return your call as soon as possible. I am Sally and Rianne, Hannah and Margaret are reading with me and Nigel is our sound engineer. And also thanks to Carol's team for the administration and copying. We will be featuring the news from Friday, October the 27th until Thursday, November the 2nd. We will include the headline stories, then a variety of news items from the local area and finishing with some sporting features. The obituaries will follow the closing music for those who wish to hear them. Some of our listeners have asked if it would be possible to move the useful telephone numbers to the end of the recording, along with the obituaries. This would have two benefits. The first, that the numbers would always be in the same place each week, making them easier for you to access, and it should also allow a little more time for more news to be recorded. However, before we make this change, we would like to consult you, our listeners, for your feedback. If you should feel strongly about the telephone numbers being moved, please can you let us know, either via a note in your wallet or by leaving a message on the answer phone. Thank you. And today the sun rose at 7.07 and set at 16.38. The nights are drawing in now we've turned our clocks back. And now I'm going to pass you over to Hannah with our thought for the week. And the thought for the day comes from Matthew 8, verses 2 and 3. A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. And our birthday list tells me there is no birthday this week to uh, wish you a happy birthday on. But if you want to let us have your date and you haven't submitted it already, please do so. And I'll pass you on to Margaret. Uh, so these are the useful phone numbers. <coughs> um, here at uh, Colin Chance House, the number is 01905. Seven six double seven double six. The Worcester Hub, O one nine o five, seven six five seven six five. Worcester Theatre Box Office, O one nine o five six double one four two seven. And Morven Theatre Box Office, O one six eight four, eight nine two, two double seven. Uh, police non-emergency number 101 and medical non-emergency number 111. Samaritans 116123 and Worcester Wheels for transport 01905 450654. And now a bit about what's going on in the local area over the next few weeks. A bereavement cafe meets at the Lippard Hub in Warnden Villages, Worcester. 
The cafe is run in partnership with St Nicholas Church, Warnden, and meets on the second Friday of each month between 10.30am and noon. All are welcome, regardless of whether your loss was recent or a long time ago. The aim of the cafe is to provide a space for people to meet others who have been bereaved, share their experiences and find mutual support. Alongside the cafe, they occasionally run a six-week bereavement journey course to help anyone struggling with the effects of loss. For information, contact info info at lippardhub.co.uk. And some of you might already be aware that Site Concern Worcestershire hold group meetings at the Bradbury Centre to Sansom Walk, Worcester. On the 27th of November, um, they will have, uh, they will be welcoming Laura from the RNIB to come and share some information about Charles Bonnet syndrome. That's on the 27th of November. And there's a change of date to the 18th of December, um, which because their normal date for the group would fall on Christmas Day. So they're inviting you to our site concern Worcestershire main Christmas party at the Bradbury Centre. Times will be confirmed next time. The phone number for the Bradbury Centre is 01905 723 245. They also have an art and craft group. Um, and there's an invitation to join for a relaxed and social group where you can explore your creativity. It's held every Wednesday at 10.30am till 12.30 at the Bradbury Centre, again at 2 Sansom Walk. Limited places, so bookings essential, and there'll be tea and coffee provided as well. Um, where possible, you're invited to bring your own projects, but they do have some of their own resources if you need some ideas. There's a cost of £2 per session, and the contact details are 01905 723 245 or at info at to book. Huntington Hall have their usual selection of... Um, things to entertain and on Saturday the 18th of November Into the Shadows the popular tribute band are returning to play there. The Shadows were originally formed as the backing band for Cliff Richard but went on to have many instrumental hits of their own. Into the Shadows play all of the early Shadows hits and the sets will also include popular Cliff numbers written and produced by the Shadows. So that's Saturday the 18th of November at the Huntington Hall at 7.30pm. At Malvern Theatres, coming up soon um, from Tuesday the 14th of November to Saturday the 18th of November um, at Malvern Festival Theatre, Frankenstein the play is on and it's based on the novel by Mary Shelley. It's a new story and it's written and directed by Sean Aiden. It's on at 7.30pm in the evening and there's a matinee on Wednesday and Saturday afternoons at 2.30pm and that's at the Festival Theatre Malvern playing Tuesday the 14th to Saturday the 18th of November. And now for the headline stories, starting on Friday, October the 27th, City Hostile Towards Cycling. 
A new bike hire scheme would be a waste of time unless more routes are built, according to some of the city's cyclists. Cyclists say a new city-wide cycle hire scheme to make 225 bikes, including 175 e-bikes, available for hire for more than 50 locations across the city, is a huge step forward. But more is needed to turn around Worcestershire's hostile approach to cycling. The warning was made by the city cycling campaigns campaigners Bike Worcester. As Worcester City Councillors discussed awarding the contract for the new cycle hire scheme at a meeting in the Guildhall on Monday, October the twenty-third, Rob Collier, Secretary of Bike Worcester, said the county's hostile reputation towards cycling and the lack of proper infrastructure would put off inexperienced riders. Worcestershire has a reputation nationally for being a really hostile place for cycling, and our name precedes us, Mr. Collier said. If I go to events or talk about to other campaigners around the country, they offer their sympathies to me and others for being from Worcestershire. We're known as an area where cycling is really difficult. He said many of the lacklustre routes between the 50 proposed drop-off points for bikes across the city would be extremely unpalatable for novice or inexperienced cyclists. The lack of routes poses a very significant. And maybe insurmountable barrier for use of the cycle hire scheme, he added. What assurances do we have as a city from the county council that new routes will be established to support the adoption of trips by bike? Mr. Collier added, "We have a zero rating from Active Travel England for cycling infrastructure. I think that it's a really important context to consider when we're thinking about the cycle hire scheme." Last year, Worcestershire County Council was one of only a handful of local authorities to get the worst possible zero rating by government body Active Travel England, and told to make improvements before it could access any money. Mike Bike Worcester said it had been campaigning for more cycling routes to the city, but little progress had been made. A three-year public space protection order. PSPO by the council came into force on March the 2021 and prohibits dangerous cycling throughout the city centre with fines of up to a hundred pounds added to those caught breaking the rules. The pay-as-you-ride bike hire scheme would come with a one pound unlocking fee, and riders would then be charged eight p a minute for a pedal bike and sixteen p a minute for an e-bike. It is hoped the scheme would start next May. Councillors agreed to hand the four-year contract to so far no to a so far unknown provider. The city council said it aimed to give 85% of residents the chance to access a bike within a five-minute walk from their homes. The £700,000 bike hire scheme will be funded using the almost £20 million the city was given by the government from the town's fund in 2021. The multi-million-pound bid included regeneration plans for Shrub Hill, the new Keepax Walking and Cycling Bridge from Goulevelt Park, and the new medical school in Hilton Road. Councillor Steve Cockrum said. The bike hire scheme was a huge step forward for Worcester, but the, still, the city still had a lot of work to do. Councillor Mike Roos, a cabinet member for Highways and Transport at Worcestershire County Council, wrote to City Council Managing Director David Blake to support the scheme 
but did not comment on Bike Worcester's concerns. And on Saturday and Sunday, October 28th and 29th, the headline was, Why are we breaking up this late? A Worcester schoolboy has written to the council to say he is horrified at how late the schools will break up for Christmas. County schools are set to break up for the Christmas holidays on Friday, December 22nd, a few days later than usual, and go back on Monday, January the 8th. But when 11-year-old Harvey Davidson found out the date, he had the mother of all meltdowns, according to mum Roxanne. The Christopher Whitehead Language College pupil stormed off to his room and wrote, I am absolutely horrified how this December 22nd we break up from school. Normally we break up from school around December 16th or 17th, so why do we leave on the 22nd this year? Now, personally, I think this shouldn't be allowed because people may not have the time for Christmas shopping or have plans for this year that have to be moved or cancelled because of this uncalled-for event. Also, I, and many children like me, like to do fun things with my family a week before Christmas, as January is very boring. Please consider this when you next plan Christmas holiday dates. Roxanne said, we were planning the calendar around Christmas and I said, Harvey, do you realise you break up on the 22nd? He is quite passionate, so he stormed upstairs saying he was going to write a letter to the council. When he came back down with it, I was so proud of him. It was very polite, but you can see it's his angry writing. To be fair, I've never known the schools break up this late. There's obviously a reason, but the best part of Christmas is the build-up to it. Harvey, who is in Year 7, said his favourite things about Christmas are going places and playing board games with his family, sitting by the fire and watching movies. A spokesperson for Worcestershire Children's First said, Schools typically break up for the festive period on the Friday before Christmas Day and return on the Monday following New Year's Day, and so the end of term changes dates every year. This academic year, our schools are set to break up for the festive period on Friday, December the 22nd, and return on Monday, January the 8th, 2024. Schools in an area usually try to use the same set of holiday dates to be consistent with each other, and some schools will book teaching training days at the end or beginning of a term that extends the holiday period for families. You can find term and holiday dates for the next four years for maintained schools on our website at www.worcestershire.gov.uk slash term dates. For academic academies and foundation-free or voluntary-aided schools, please view the school website or contact the school directly. And for all the latest news from across the city as it happens, head over to www.worcesternews.co.uk. On October the 30th, Monday, October the 30th, the headline reads, Dental Crisis. Hundreds in A&E with tooth decay. More than 500 people were forced to attend A&E last year 
with tooth decay because of the crisis in finding an appointment with the NHS dentists. NHS figures show that as many as 545 attended A&E in Worcestershire last year due to dental decay. The figures show that 465 patients were seen in A&E either Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester or at the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch with a dental abscess caused by tooth decay and 80 with dental caries. No dental surgery in Worcestershire is currently accepting new patients. According to the NHS, with only a handful accepting NHS referrals from other dentists. The same NHS search shows that adults would have to travel from the city to Kidderminster, Redditch or Birmingham to find a surgery accepting NHS patients and two surgeries in Droitwich <coughs> open to accepting children under 17. Across the country, last year, 67,000 patients attended emergency departments with tooth decay, with millions told that NHS dental surgeries had no available appointments or were not taking on new patients. The impossibility of finding a dentist has forced many into A&E <coughs> when their conditions have worsened. Tom Collins... Labour's parliamentary candidate for Worcester said the lack of appointments was giving patients nowhere to, uh, else to go but A&E. People are being denied an appointment with an NHS dentist when they need it, he said. It's impossible to register with an NHS dentist in Worcester and even registered patients are starting to lose their places. Right here in Worcester, patients are being forced into A&E with tooth decay as they have nowhere else to turn. Labour will rescue NHS dentistry from this crisis so people can get an appointment when they need one. We will provide 700,000 more appointments a year to those in the most urgent need and recruit more dentists to areas with the worst shortages. Earlier this month, the NHS revealed its recovery plan to address the dentist shortage, which includes committing to increasing the number of dentists training by 40%. West Worcestershire MP Harriet Baldwin said, I have had a number of constituents complain to me about the changes of dental provision as dentists' practices in Pershore and despite writing to both the local team and the national management, I haven't been able to get a clear answer. I've now written to the chief executive, but it is now important that we understand how to get the right blend of NHS and private provision for the town. The long-term NHS workforce plan commits to training many more dentists, and there are 15,000 one-off payment there is a 15,000 one-off payment for dentists who commit to working in a particular area. A spokesperson from the NHS Herefordshire and Worcestershire said, Dental health and provision of dental services across Herefordshire and Worcestershire is a multifaceted faceted issue. The NHS Hereford and Worcestershire Dental Access Recovery Plan aims to increase access to primary dental services across the two counties and we are currently coping 
um, currently scoping the requirements for Worcestershire. Alongside this, work is underway with all health and care partners to ensure not only access to dental services, but also education around oral health for both adults and children to enable people to look after their dental health and ultimately prevent tooth decay or any preventable urgent care requirements. On Tuesday, October the 31st, the headline read, Eyesore is back on the market. An eyesore former supermarket bought by the council as part of a multi-million pound regeneration work is to be put back up for sale. Worcester City Council said it will now be selling the former co-op supermarket in Angel Street, having scrapped a move to redevelop the building because of budget troubles. Indicative plans for the building included new flats, a food hall and a rooftop garden. The City Council's planning committee turned down a move to convert the building into a gin palace in 2017. The council has spent the year trying to find a use for the building after finding out the cost of restoration and conversion would exceed budgets. Council chiefs admitted they would not be able to do anything with the building without third-party backing, and while interest from landlords in turning the building into housing was limited, there had been interest in opening the site as a new pub, and there is a realistic chance of finding a buyer. The building remains empty, and its condition is deteriorating, according to the council, with a cash-strapped authority still liable for any associated costs. If the condition of the building continues to decline, the council is also concerned that its value will fall when it comes to selling. The deteriorating building was bought by the city council using part of the £18 million it was awarded by the government in 2021 to redevelop the northern side of the city centre. Work that included, among other things, reopening the nearby Scala Theatre as a new venue. But spiralling costs have forced the council to scrap several parts of the work with the proposals for the former co-op, one of the first to get the boot, as well as reduce the cornerstone scala work from a 500-seat theatre to a smaller performing arts centre. The council's managing director, David Blake, said the soft marketing had been carried out on the building with some success. The uncertainty over the Scala and the Corn Exchange has caused potential investors to pause just to see what's happening and now we're back on firmer footing, we would like to take that property to the market and see what interest we get from it, he said, at the Policy and Resources Committee meeting in the Guildhall. The Council's joint leader, Councillor Lynn Denham, we can only hope that it is of value and we get a reasonable bid. Councillor James Stanley, chair of the Policy and Resources Committee, said Angel Street and Angel Place had been on the margins for a number of years and the council needed to make it a place to visit and a place to stay. Councillors agreed to scrap the potential makeover of the former supermarket in December last year, with the council focusing on redeveloping the nearby Scala Theatre into a new venue. The building could be used as a site office during the work to reopen the Scala Theatre, the council said. And Wednesday, November the 1st, answer 999 calls sooner. Police criticised by watchdog. 
The region's police force needs to answer 999 calls and respond to incidents quicker, a watchdog said. West Mercia Police was told it was not answering 999 calls quickly enough and needed to attend to incidents faster by His Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabularies and Fire and Rescue Services, HMICFRS, following an inspection in June. The delays remained a cause for concern by the police watchdog two years after inspectors warned the force needed to improve how it investigated crimes, supervised investigations and updated victims. Inspectors congratulated West Mercia Police on improving how it updated victims, but said the force had not improved how it supervised investigations, a cause for concern for HMICFRS in 2021. The force was also told it needed more work to stop so many people abandoning 101 calls for taking too long. Inspectors said nearly half of the incidents they investigated were not attended to on time and more than a fifth of 101 calls were also abandoned, well above the 5% standard. West Mercia's Acting Deputy Chief Constable Richard Cooper said... We're pleased to see a sustained and significant improvement in several areas, including our compliance with the Victims Code of Practice, which focuses on the rights of victims. Despite a continued focus to improve our investigative standards, we acknowledge and share the concerns raised by the Inspectorate. We welcome the independent oversight and scrutiny from HMICFRS in this area, which will help us to refocus on meaningful improvement. Since the initial inspection took place in late 2021, we have invested in and continue to invest in investigative skills training for both the new and existing officers, changed our process to improve coordination and introduced sergeants dictated to overseeing investigation quality. We're pleased to hear that in all, of the calls reviewed by the team, our contact handlers dealt with callers professionally and with empathy. We do recognise, though, the amount of time it takes to answer calls needs to improve and we are currently changing our approach to ensure this happens. Wendy Williams, His Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary, said, We found that West Mercia Police has made progress against some of the cause of concern recommendations that we focused on in this visit, but it needs to do more in relation to supervision and the allocation of investigative plans. The force needs to improve how it responds to the public, particularly in how effective it answers 999 and 101 calls and attends incidents. We will continue to monitor the force's performance in these areas. While I congratulate the force on the progress it has made, the existing cause of concern will remain. And finally, Thursday, November the 2nd, today's headline was Outrage over Parade's New Parking Rules. Drivers and traders at a small shopping centre in the city are up in arms at car park ticketing chaos. For decades, drivers enjoyed relaxed parking restrictions on Henwick Park car park off Monarch Drive, which serves serves several businesses. But many are now being hit with £60 fines since new strict restrictions were introduced in the summer. 
One frustrated driver said he now cycles to the shops, fearing he would be giving a parking charge notice again. Mark Banner parked to pop into Tesco Express, arriving at 12.24 and leaving at 12.27pm on Saturday, October the 21st. Because it was full, I parked in a place people have been parking in for decades. There's room for another car, but no bay. The Solitaire Avenue resident said text on the signs is too small and confusing to read. I will take it to court, he said. I am 58. I've been coming here 45 years supporting the local shops. If I have to pay it, I will never use this car park ever again. In late August, signs were put up informing drivers of new rules. They are a maximum stay of four hours. Drivers cannot park between 11.30pm and 5.30am. Drivers have to park within the confines of a single marked parking bay. But traders said customers moan they are fined for going over the line slightly and even for driving in and straight out when there are no spaces. Staff at Posh Wash Dry Cleaning said they had been hit with four tickets which rise to £100 if not paid within 14 days. A staff member said people are getting tickets for no reason. It's ridiculous. We are trying to cancel ours. We wanted a camera because nearby residents were abusing the car park, but we don't want this. It is going to affect all our businesses if it's not sorted. Another trader who did not want to be named said, We have had a lot of people coming in saying they've had tickets. One of the rules is you have to go into one of the businesses, but people have been fined even though they came in. The idea behind it might be a good one, but the way it's being applied needs looking at. Johnson Fellows, the managing agent for the car park, said it was implemented in September 2023 after complaints about the abuse of the car park and customers not being able to park. We appointed an accredited operator to ensure the car park is managed efficiently. The operator ensures all signage and PCNs are issued in accordance with regulations and offers an online appeal process and further assistance with all PCNs issued. UKPS, which manages the car park, was contacted for comment. A charity ball held to raise vital funds for children with cancer and their families while they are undergoing hospital care raised an impressive £4,800. Guests who were joined by the Mayor and Mayoress of Worcester and Robin Walker, MP, at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Charities Children of Worcester Cancer Fund, Ball, enjoyed an entertaining evening of food, music, dancing and fundraising at the glittering event in September. The funds raised will help the charity and the Children's Cancer Clinic team. (coughs) NHS, uh, sorry, will help uh, the clinic team uh, to provide 
Over and above additional extras such as wheelchairs, Halloween parties, Christmas events and even coffee vouchers to allow for hospital visits to feel that that bit more comfortable. Dawn Forbes, uh, children and young people specialist cancer nurse at the Trust said, the ball at Worcestershire County Cricket Club was a huge success and wouldn't have been possible without the help and support of my team of volunteers and fellow colleagues. The funds raised on the night will go a long way and will help us to create more special memories for our patients and their loved ones in the future. Thank you to everyone for their generous support. Sophie Burt, Head of Fundraising and Community Development at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Charity said, To see such a display of support from the local community for our specialist fund was wonderful. Their generosity of support will make a real difference to our patients and their loved ones. Thank you. The Children of Worcestershire Cancer Fund is part of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Charity and supports children from across Worcestershire and Herefordshire receiving treatment at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust. If you would like to support the children of Worcestershire Cancer Fund, in continuing support of children and their loved ones undergoing cancer treatment in our hospitals, visit www.justgiving-children-for-worcestershire-cancer-fund. <coughs> Hundreds of children and adults dressed in their Halloween finest, finest turned out for the first day of an interactive trail featuring live actors at Spetchley Park and Gardens. During the Step Through the Wardrobe Trail, visitors to the gardens are able to discover the wicked White Witch, which has arrived at Spetchley just in time for Halloween and turned all the estate prize pumpkins into stone. The gardens are largely unaltered, 30 acres of Victorian paradise on the edge of Worcester, with the garden collection boasting an enviable collection of plant treasures from every corner of the globe, including one of the finest and biggest private collections of peonies. The estate is currently witnessing an explosion of seasonal colour as the leaves turn into a variety of reds, browns, yellows and crimson. It was, a fan- it was fantastic to see so many witches, wizards, unicorns, dryads and magical beasts coming along to Spetchley and helping us bring back autumn and reverse the eternal winter cursed upon us by the Wicked Witch. Residents fled their homes after a massive blaze broke out at a city nursery. Smoke poured out onto Ploughman's Close on Saturday night after a fire at Fairfield Day Nursery. Homeowners lined the streets in dressing gowns and slippers and watched in shock as a section of the nursery was gutted. West Mercia police evacuated the street while firefighters tackled the fire which started at 8am. One neighbour who was evacuated said... The police knocked on the door and asked us to leave the property and to take the dog And as they said they weren't sure if there were explosives. We were all out the front for half an hour and there were loads of people out the front. Everyone stood outside in dressing gowns, in their slippers and dogs were on leads. 
Another neighbour nearly had their garden shed destroyed as flames encroached onto their property. I need to sort out the roof of my shed before it's dark as it's damaged, he said. I was out and going to town and my wife rang me. She said there was a bang, like some sort of explosion. It was a massive fire. We were lucky. If the shed went, all my stuff would be gone. A spokesperson for the nursery on Carnforth Drive said staff were saddened by what happened but extremely grateful that fire crews got to the blaze before it spread. Staff are appealing for anyone with CCTV footage to come forward to help police invest to help police investigations. The nursery's main building remains unaffected by the fire and will be open as usual tomorrow. During the fire, a West Mercia police spokesperson said, we are currently assisting our colleagues from the fire service with a fire on Ploughman's Close in Worcester. All residents who need to be evacuated have been taken to safety. We are asking the public to stay away from this area. Worcester's MP has welcomed the news the planned closure of the rail ticket offices at a city station has been scrapped. Robin Walker has said it is a move he had been pushing for after feedback from constituents. Hundreds of ticket offices, including Worcester Shrub Hill Office, as well as Malvern Link and Great Malvern Railway Stations and Evesham, were set to close. But yesterday the government announced the U-turn. Transport Secretary Mark Harper said train operators have been asked to withdraw the proposals as they do not meet the high thresholds set by ministers. The plans have been met with widespread criticism and Mr Walker said a number of residents had contacted him with their concerns. A lot of groups, including blind groups, have raised it, Mr Walker said. There's been a large strength of feeling from constituents about this issue, particularly elderly people. More people are using online, but people accept that providing an office is part of the service. I welcome the change. Karen Lewing, a Worcester City Council, said the U-turn showed the power of collective protest, from writing to newspapers, petitions and feedback. The result was so overwhelming that even this government couldn't ignore it. The Transport Secretary said, The consultation on ticket offices has now ended with the government making clear to the rail industry throughout the process that any resulting proposals must meet a high threshold of serving passengers. We have engaged with accessibility groups throughout this process and listened carefully to passengers as well as my colleagues in Parliament. The proposals that have resulted from this process do not meet the high thresholds set by ministers and so the government has asked train operators to withdraw their proposals. We will continue our work to reform our railways with the expansion of contactless pay-as-you-go ticketing, making stations more accessible through our Access for All programme and £350 million funding through our Network North plan to improve accessibility at up to 100 stations. In July this year, industry body the Rail Delivery Group, RDG, unveiled the original proposals which could have led to nearly all offices being shut with facilities only remaining open at the busiest station. The original decision was taken following pressure from the government to cut costs amid the drop in revenue caused by the coronavirus pandemic. A new campaign has been launched after research discovered the danger of lengthy hospital stays. The Home for Lunch campaign from Worcestershire and Herefordshire health providers 
aims to return patients to the comfort of their homes earlier in the day. Discharging patients earlier in daylight promotes warmth and safety and facilitates an easier transition back into normal life, as well as reduce health risks, they claim. This comes after recent research detailing the risk of long bed rest, especially in older patients. For those aged over 80, a week in hospital is the equivalent of 10 years of muscle ageing or could impede 16 to 65 percent of older patients from walking unaided. Moreover, the risk for inpatients to contract viruses and infections increases. Dr. Christine Blanchard, Chief Medical Officer for Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust, said, Supporting the Home for Lunch campaign is an important part of a wider programme of work to ensure that none of our patients spends a minute longer in our hospitals than they need to. We know that keeping patients in an acute hospital bed when they no longer require acute hospital care can have a profound negative impact on their mental and physical well-being, as well as putting them at risk of hospital-acquired infections or a greater risk of falls as a result of being in an unfamiliar environment. We want to take a home-first approach for all our patients. In familiar surroundings, they are more easily able to maintain their physical and mental health and spend more time with their family, friends, even their pets. David Allison, Associate Chief Operating Officer, Medical Division for Y Valley NHS Trust, explained, We will be doing all we can to get our patients home in the morning, in daylight hours, which is important for many of our frail and elderly patients. Being in familiar surroundings with support from loved ones is one of the best things for mental well-being. Hospitals are unfamiliar and can be very confusing. Being in hospital for too long can reduce muscle capacity and reduce the ability to do routine things for yourself. Um, Extinction Rebellion protested against the dumping of sewage in the River Severn in Worcester. Members of the protest group were joined by residents as they marched along the riverside and into the city centre on Sunday morning. That was October the 29th. <coughs> Protesters carried placards and flags as well as banged drums in a procession from Grandstand Road along the riverside to Diglas Pedestrian Bridge and on to the Guild Hall. <coughs> the action highlights what Extinction Rebellion calls the government's continued failure to tighten environmental regulations and stop profit-grabbing by water companies who continue to pollute the waterways. Anna Mason, a retired teacher from Worcester, said, We still continue to watch the nightmare unfold. The crumbling sewage infrastructure fails with even modest amounts of rain and spills raw sewage into our rivers and beaches. Last year, sewage was dumped 370,000 times for a combined 2.3 million hours. Over the same period, England's water companies paid out £1.4 billion to shareholders instead of using every last penny to get this situation fixed.
<coughs> Seven Trent paid out four hundred and twenty six million to shareholders in the last financial year. I'm sick of it, said Anna. This has to stop. Apart from organic matter, raw sewage often contains microplastics, industrial and agricultural chemicals, parasites and heavy metals. This chemical cocktail is not only dangerous to humans, but can harm marine ecosystems. The Department for the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, DEFRA, said last month it is providing more funding to reduce the amount of time sewage is pumped out of, of storm overflows, adding another $4 billion onto the $56 billion it announced last year. It has updated its storm overflow discharge reduction plan to include as high-priority sites those storm overflows that eject sewage into marine protected areas, shellfish waters, sites of special scientific interest and bathing waters. A spokesman, spokesperson for the Extinction Rebellion Worcester group said, it is disgusting to know what's being pumped into our river right here in Worcester. There were <coughs> 1,051 hours of sewage discharge on 81 occasions from the storm overflow by Diglis Island in 2021, and things are not getting any better. The government <coughs> and the water companies aren't going to clean up unless ordinary people put pressure on them. We need everyone who cares about our rivers and seas to stand up with us and speak out. Gareth Mead, Seven Trent River Ranger, said, We take our responsibilities towards river health very seriously and we're delivering an in industry leading plan that includes bold commitments such as by 2030 we will cause no harm from our storm overflow operations. In the last year, we've already reduced our impact on waterways by one third. Data from 2022 shows that spills in this location have reduced by around 30% since 2021. However, we know there's more to do, which is why we're continuing to invest hundreds of millions of pounds into making rivers the healthiest they can be. Eagle-eyed shoppers will have noticed Christmas has come early in Worcester City Centre as the Christmas lights are starting to be put up. Streets including High Street, The Shambles and Mealcheapen Street are decorated annually with bright lights and Christmas decorations which attract hundreds to the city centre every year. On Monday, shoppers noticed the popular decorations were again being brought out. Workers were seen installing the decorations which feature fairies and snowflakes above the streets. Although the lights will not be officially switched on until later this month, after Re Remembrance Sunday, work to install the lights takes several weeks and starts much earlier. The Christmas lights switch on event will take place on Saturday, November the 25th. That event typically marks when the festive period gets underway. This year, the switch-on event will take place in Cathedral Square between 4pm and 7pm. There will be live music performances from schools and choirs, as well as characters from the pantomime case performing at the Swan Theatre. 
Father Christmas will also be making an appearance. <coughs> Excuse me. It will be followed by the Victorian Christmas Fair, which will take place between Thursday, November the 30th, and Sunday, December the 3rd, with nearly 200 stalls filling the city's streets. The fair draws more than 150,000 people to Worcester across the four days and contributes an estimated £7 million to the local economy each year. Visitors can enjoy a host of festive traditions such as roasted chestnuts and mulled wine and enjoy stepping back in time to how Christmas might have looked 150 years ago. Seasonal stalls offering locally sourced food, drinks, crafts and gifts will be in place in High Street, Cathedral Square, Pump Street, New Street, Friar Street, Corn Market and The Shambles. There will also be a fantastic programme of entertainment, including Victorian characters, lofty entertainers on stilts, brilliant musicians and buskers on street corners. And no visit to the fair would be complete without a ride on the traditional vintage carousel in the corn market. The council has revealed it is closing in on the 2.5 million saving target to help reduce a worrying hole in its budget. Worcester City Council has set itself a savings target of £2.5 million to be reached by 2027 as the cash-strapped authority battles with rising costs and inflation to balance its budget in the coming years. At the start of the year, the council warned of job losses and further cuts to services with a worrying gap in the authority's budget expected to rise to at least £4 million in the next five years. The Council is nearly 90% of the way towards reaching the 2.5 million target, having agreed on a raft of measures to either save money or bring in more cash to help reduce the gap in recent months. The Council has found nearly £2.2 million of savings and potential money earners to boost income, including 376000 since September, and sees nearly £1.5 million as achievable. Decisions over services already made or soon to be made by councillors would save around a further £283,000. These decisions have included introducing an entrance fee for the previously free Worcester Show, a steep rise in the cost of hiring an allotment and reducing the operating hours of fountains in Cripplegate Park and South Quay next to the River Severn. A draft voluntary redundancy scheme would currently save around £448,000. Based on current estimates, more than £250,000 would have to be saved between 2025 and 2027 to reach the £2.5 million target. Councillor Lynn Denham, joint leader of the Council, said the cost-cutting measures had shown a firm determination to get the Council's finances in order, but warned of further financial challenges. The impact of the rise of inflation has not just been on households, but also on local councils like ours, she said. In 2023, the Council had to draw over £400,000 from risk reserves to balance the budget. In the current financial year, over £1.7 million had to be earmarked from reserves to balance the budget. This is not a financially sustainable position in the medium term. 
Making savings of this magnitude is never easy and I would like to thank my fellow councillors for their commitment and support in delivering this vital savings plan and the council officers who have worked so hard to identify potential savings. A titanic exhibition brought people in the city face to face with the human story of the doomed ship, including rare and poignant objects from the wreck. The Sellau Titanic exhibition, which runs until November the 4th, drew large crowds at Worcester Guildhall on the city's high street, where they had a chance to get close to unusual objects from survivors and from the wreck itself. The Olympic-class liner sunk on April 15, 1912, the disaster claiming the lives of 1,523 people. Although 705 did survive as SS Carpathia approached the lifeboats, later bringing passengers to New York. The now sold-out Titanic exhibition at the Guildhall provides a rare and fascinating insight into the life of the ship and the people on board her. Crowds have been left spellbound by the haunting photographs and artefacts at the exhibition, which opened on Wednesday, telling her story from her beginning to her tragic end. Large photographs showed the sheer enormity of the ship and a replica of the cherub in the forward grand staircase gave people the sense of being on board while photos of the crew brought people face to face with those caught up in the tragedy. Lindsay Barney, 40, of Droitwich, came to the exhibition with daughter Rose Barney, 10, while Claire Smith, 46, arrived with her daughter Libby Pitaway, age 10. Mrs. Barney said, What I find most interesting is the human story. It's not a film, it was people's lives. The group also said they found the Worcester connection to the ship interesting. Henry Morley, who had a confectioner's shop in the city, including one in the shambles, died in the disaster. Henry, who was married at the time, fell in love with a young girl, Kate Florence Phillips, who was working at the store at 22 Forgate Street. Planning a new life together in San Francisco, he moved money from the company accounts and booked tickets on board the Titanic, leaving behind his wife and child. Henry died in the disaster and his young lover, who was 19 years younger than him, survived and returned to Worcester. Her daughter, Ellen Mary Walker, was born on January 11, 1913. Tom Rudderham, the exhibition director of White Star Heritage, said he owned most of the artefacts with around 250 on display. Since the age of 15, I was obsessed, said Mr. Rudderham, now aged 40. Some objects from the Titanic sister ship, the Olympic, such as grand staircase door handles, which were on display, would have been identical to those on the lost ship. The displays also included props from the 1997 film Titanic, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. We try and tell the whole story of the ship from construction to life on board to the sinking to the wreck site. It's one of the biggest collections in the UK, he said. He began collecting when he saw a fork from the Olympic sister ship of the Titanic on eBay and later became an officer of the British Titanic Society. 
Mr. Rudderham explained that everything brought up from the wreck site was owned by the RMS Titanic Inc. There was an exception, including a few personal objects handed down to him. Titanic Museum is one of the largest collections of Titanic and White Star Line artifacts in the UK and is part of the White Star Heritage Limited. Founded by Mr. Rudderham, items in the collection include pottery, silverware, structural items and paper ephemera, such as menus and postcards. Items of interest include travelling patients' cards and a handkerchief owned by survivor Elsie Bowman and used on board Titanic. It was reputed she was playing cards when the Titanic struck the iceberg and were saved in her pocket. She went on to become the first female barrister to practice at the Old Bailey. Also on display were the personal items of Titanic fireman William James Major, including his pocket watch and a piece of band leader Wallace Hartley's sheet music. The music was protected from the seawater in a leather case beneath a life jacket and was found when Hartley's body was retrieved ten days after the disaster. Also included are items from the wreck site, such as a small piece of the Titanic's hull, chinaware and silverware used by first-class passengers, and items from the Harland and Wolf shipyard in Belfast where the Titanic was built. For those who have missed the exhibition, it is coming to Bristol between February 10th and 18th, and then Birmingham between July 27th and August 25th next year. For forthcoming exhibitions, organisers plan to recreate the bow of the wrecked ship as it appears on the seabed with support from a Hollywood prop company with a spotlight for a dramatic and immersive experience for visitors. A cafe backs the bereaved. A bereavement cafe meets at the Lippard Hub in Walden Villages, Worcester. The cafe is run in partnership with St Nicholas Church Warnden and meets on the second Friday of each month between 10.30am and noon. All are welcome, regardless of whether your loss was recent or a long time ago. The aim of the cafe is to provide a space for people to meet others who have been bereaved, share their experiences and find mutual support. Alongside the cafe... They occasionally run a six-week bereavement journey course to help anyone struggling with the effect of loss. For information, contact info at lippardhub.co.uk. Works of art collected by an aristocratic Worcestershire family over hundreds of years are set to go under the hammer. The collection of Lord and Lady Sandys, whose family seat was Ombersley Court in Ombersley, spans five centuries, with many of the works of art being acquired or commissioned for their home following the construction of the present house in the early 18th century. Other works in the collection came to the family by inheritance and remained in situ during the tenure of the last Lord and Lady Sandys, who died in 2013 and 15, respectively. There will be 220 lots offered for sale, 
including old master paintings, furniture, silver, Asian art, militaria and decorative arts. Assembled over more than 450 years by members of the Sandys and Hill families, the sale is led by an important group of four monumental naval scenes by Willem van de Velde, the Younger, and Studio, which have been in the family since they were commissioned in the late 17th century. Estimates range from £500 to £500,000, with lots £1,000 or below offered without reserve. The overall collection is expected to realise in the region of £2 million. Adrian Hume Sayer, Specialist Private and Iconic Collections Director for Christie's London, said, Sales of a collection such as this are rare to come to the market today, and Christie's is honoured to have been entrusted with the auction. The collection from Ombersley Court tells the remarkable story of a single family over the course of more than 400 years and the objects and broken provenance weaves a captivating story. This remarkable collection includes notable groups of works which were both inherited, such as the important group of old master paintings commissioned by Edward Russell, 1st Earl of Orford, and works commissioned specifically for Ombersley Court, both at its inception and subsequently for the Marchioness of Downshire in the early 19th century. Other fascinating objects acquired over the centuries include the gem-like casket bought by Elizabeth Trumbull in Turkey in August 1690. Founded in 1766, Christie's is a world-leading art and luxury business with a physical presence in 46 countries. The auction will be held on Wednesday, November the 29th. Hundreds of twinkling lights will be lit in memory and celebration of loved ones this festive season in the annual St Richard's Hospice Lights of Love campaign. There will be two moving and uplifting St Richard's Lights of Love events at Worcester Cathedral at 2.30 and 7pm on Friday the 17th of November. The choir from King's Horford will sing during the afternoon service and the RGS Senior School Choir will feature in the evening event. The evening event will be followed by a procession to St Andrew's Spire where a Christmas tree will be illuminated full of dedicated lights of love against a backdrop of music from the Worcester Salvation Army. St Richard's has held lights of love events in Worcestershire for more than 20 years. Anyone is welcome to dedicate a light in memory or celebration of a loved one, not only those who have a connection with St Richard's. Hospice Campaign's fundraiser Laura Clark said, It's that time of year when we tend to reflect on all those wonderful people who have made a difference to our lives, particularly those who are are loved and no longer with us. We look forward to celebrating and remembering loved ones again this year. Mrs Clark added, Our Lights of Love events are free to attend, open to all and are the perfect way to pay tribute to those we hold dear. We do please ask that people confirm their attendance in advance, if possible, by emailing our fundraising team at appeals at strichards.org.uk or phoning us at 01905-958-262. The dedicated names will be displayed around St Andrew's Spire and in a Book of Remembrance at Worcester Cathedral. They will also be published in the Worcester News on December 23rd, if you wish. 
You can dedicate a light online at www.strichards.org.uk forward slash lights of love or call the fundraising team on 01905 958 262. Supporters who dedicate and donate online will have the added benefit of their personal message and photo being displayed on the St Richard's online Christmas tree. Money raised from Lights of Love donations will help support the hospice's specialist care for people living with a serious progressive illness, their families and bereaved people across Worcestershire. Lights of Love is kindly sponsored by Fisher German and supported by Worcester Cathedral, Worcester City Council, Lysinton Farm and Nurseries, Midworth, Midwest Mechanical and Electrical Services, Giglite, Droitwich Lions Club, King School Worcester, RGS Worcester, Worcester Salvation Army and the Heart of Worcestershire College. Jason Kleins, partner for Fisher German, said, Lights of Love resonates on a personal level with me and is very close to our hearts here at Fisher German, recognising the exceptional care that St Richard's provides to people and their loved ones all over the county. The cathedral events are always very moving and comforting occasions and we look forward to celebrating and remembering loved ones again this year. Nigel and I went to that last year and it would be worth registering beforehand the cathedral was completely full yeah. jam-packed yeah um th this column i assume is from the mayor it just says i was delighted to attend an event celebrating the lives of black residents in worcester as part of black history month held in the guild hall our cultural heritage was an exciting and vibrant event organized by local community groups including the worcester anti-racism initiative worcester afro-caribbean association and the association of igbos in worcestershire the lower hall incorporated an exhibition celebrating early residents and contributions made to life in the city including sports people, NHS staff, people in business and local volunteers. Upstairs, the assembly room was brought to life with music, art, poetry and a fantastic spread of food, but most importantly, a buzz of conversation. It was a particular highlight for me to be able to open the mayor's parlour and provide a short tour around the Guildhall to local people of all ages and from across Worcester's diverse communities. While the Worcester Anti-Racism Initiative has run a successful programme as part of Black History Month for the last few years, it's the first year that the Guildhall has hosted this event and the organising team hopes to build on the successes of the last few years. The team is keen to hear from anyone who would like to support this event going forward, to be part of the conversations and to share their experiences and memories of living in Worcester. If you would like to get in touch, the communities team can be contacted at communities at worcester.gov.uk. Uh, an exclusive food delivery app for Worcester has launched with lots of restaurants and cafes across the city. Woo Eats is the new food delivery app that is set to take on names like Just Eat, Uber Eat, Eats, 
and Deliveroo in Worcester and some surrounding areas. <coughs> the business is owned and operated by Jabarias, who also serves as Worcester City Councillor and is a former Mayor of Worcester. Mr Riaz said that the app will be giving fairer deals to both customers and businesses that use it. He said, I am delighted to be able to launch Woo Eats in the city of Worcester and its surroundings. After having talked to lots of businesses and residents, it was clear there was a market for a local food delivery app that gave a fairer deal to both customers and businesses with the added bonus of reinvesting some of the profits into the grassroots communities. <clears throat> Which other delivery app does that? The app requires all of its drivers to complete a special course before they are allowed to work with Woo Eats. Mr. Rears said we have also taken feedback from businesses who stated they wanted our drivers to have had basic hygiene training and I'm glad to say that all our drivers must complete a course before they sign up. I love Worcester and I am committed to ensuring that all in the city prosper. We have some fantastic opening offers on board so download the app now. The logo of Woo Eats features three pairs which is synonymous with Worcester. Mr Riaz previously said that the app plans to reinvest money into local charities and that will be selected by Woo Eat users. Art, computer games and a phone charging station have been added to Worcester's new A&D department. The £35 million emergency department at Worcestershire Royal Hospital opened its doors for the first time earlier this month. And now, thanks to Worcestershire Acute Hospital's charity supporters, finishing touches have been added to improve the experience for patients and staff. Artwork has been installed in both the adults' and children's areas, helping to create a warmer, welcoming and more comfortable environment. The artwork in the children's department has been specifically designed to make the environment feel more welcoming. Donors have also enabled the funding of computer game units, which will help to put older children and young adults at ease, as well as providing a form of entertainment. Natalia Moore, Children's Emergency Department Manager, said, By enabling these finishing touches, supporters have transformed our patients' experience of care. A bright and colourful environment will make all the difference to our young patients. Thank you so much for your support. In the adults' area, large landscape scenes have been installed throughout the department, including in the mental health assessment rooms, plus fun graphics for the x-ray room. It is hoped that in creating a calming and attractive space, patients will feel less anxious and better able to engage in their ongoing care. Donations have also allowed for the provision of a phone charging station in the main reception of the department. This service will be free of charge for patients. Sophie Burt, Head of Fundraising and Community Development at Worcester Acute Hospitals, said it gives us great pride to have been a part of making this newly opened department the best it can be. The generous donations have really helped us add those extra features that can make such a difference to our patients and staff. 
Transformations have also taken place outside, thanks to a partnership with Seven Arts and with majority funding from Arts Council England. Illustrator Emily Kay was commissioned to design and paint a mural on the wall opposite the entrance. The mural is bright and colourful and aims to make everybody who needs the new emergency department feel welcome. Claire Bush, Divisional Director of Nursing for Urgent and Emergency Care, said, We have been overwhelmed by the incredible support we've received from our community. Thank you so much. To find out more about Worcestershire Acute Hospitals Charity, visit www.wahcharity.org or email info at wahcharity.org. No suspects have been identified by police after a seagull was put down after being injured with a slingshot in Worcester City Centre. The gull was put to sleep after being shot at by youths armed with a slingshot on Angel Street in Worcester City Centre. Worcester resident Andrew Brown decided to raise the matter with the city's MP, Robin Walker, who told him that nobody has yet been identified. Mr Brown said, It is an unfortunate that nobody has been able to be identified from this attack. I thought it was in broad daylight and there is a lot of CCTV in the city centre. The police may have an answer by now. That being said, I appreciate the difficulties there must be around identifying someone involved in an incident like this. West Mercia Police originally told the Worcester News they would not investigate the situation but changed their decision after Mr Brown involved Mr Walker. Mr Walker's update to Mr Brown said, The police have confirmed that the investigation was reopened and all lines of inquiry were investigated. However, it was unfortunately not possible to positively identify the perpetrators. In the absence of any further evidence, the matter has been closed. Assurances have been offered by the police that they do, not, that they do take crim- crimes of this nature ser- seriously and that lessons have been learnt from this experience to prevent this from happening again in the future. Mr Brown said that the assurances made by Mr Walker were positive for future incidents of a similar nature. He said, I am grateful to Robin Walker's office for progressing my concerns, which I am sure are shared by many. On the plus side, it is good to know that West Mercia Police will be looking more into these sorts of attacks going forward. If anyone does know anything, they could still contact the police. And to report a crime, you can call 101 or alternatively, you can contact Crime Stoppers by calling 0800 And that, I think, concludes our general news items and we're moving on to sports. A Worcester driver has recently been crowned world champion after winning a sports car event in Portugal. Worcester sixth form's Hayden Chance for Valor Racing made his Radical Cup debut in April and was the youngest driver in the competition, but he showed all his promise and talent to beat drivers from Europe, USA and Australia to be crowned Radical Pro 1500 World Champion. After promising testing laps on Monday the 16th and the walk around the track on Tuesday the 17th, the 17-year-old hatched a plan for the qualifying heats to come later in the week against a grid represented by over 12 countries. 
Taking the fastest lap in Friday morning's qualifying race gave Chance a pole position for the first of four races over Friday and Saturday in the SR3 Pro 1500 class. Local business owner and proud dad Chris Chance said, For his age, it's great to see how confident he is. He's so relaxed under pressure for a 17-year-old. He just went out there and did it. The rain hit, but Chance was able to navigate his way through the second race, even managing to get past the more powerful cars in the SR10 class to take the overall win. The leaderboard points over the first three races gave Hayden a pole position start on Saturday for the final race. After a tough start, he regained the lead and held it for the remainder of the race. Forever humble, Hayden added, I got swamped by the more powerful SR10s at the start of the race, but I managed to pull it back and come through at the end. Chance accepted awards during the awards dinner on Saturday night in Portimao, Portugal, for becoming the 2023 Radical Cup World Champion before he was back to Sixth Form College on Monday. And this is some cricketing news. Headed, Bowler Dies. A former Worcestershire pace bowler, Brian Brain, has died aged 83, the county have confirmed. Brain, born and raised in Worcester, spent 17 years at New Road and won three county championship titles, as well as picking up 508 first-class wickets. Current Worcestershire board member Paul Bridgen, who played alongside Brain in the early 1970s, said, Brian was a very deceptive bowler, had a very whippy action, and was quicker than you thought. He hit the bat quite hard and got batters jumping about. He was quicker than people gave him credit for, and he and Van Bernholder were an excellent partnership. Brain's Worcestershire career was that after making his debut in 1959, he had to wait five years for his next appearance, but then played an important role with 31 wickets in the title success of 1964. Brain followed that with another 44 when the championship crown was retained in 1965, including three five-wicket hauls. He continued to play a significant role for for Worcestershire in the late 1960s and during the first half of the 1970s. 73 first-class wickets in 1969 was followed by 84 in both the 1973 and 1974 seasons, the second of which saw Worcestershire again finished as champions. After 52 wickets in 1975, Brain left New Road to finish his career with Gloucestershire from 1976 to 81, and then Shropshire in 1982 before finally hanging up his spikes. And now for the rugby news for this week. Bath Flanker and former Worcester Warriors captain Ted Hill has undergone successful surgery on a hamstring injury sustained in a Premiership game earlier this month. 
Hill, who moved to Bath following the collapse of hometown club Worcester last year, came off during the Gallagher Premiership victory over Newcastle Falcons on the opening day of the season two weeks ago. The club confirmed that he was due to be out for a number of months and on Tuesday he was pictured recovering after successful surgery on his leg. On Instagram, Hill said, By no means the start of the season that I wanted, and I'm gutted to be missing out for the next few months. The hamstring is all fixed now, and I'm already looking forward to getting going with the rehab. Looking forward to supporting the boys and coaches as they fly into the start of the season. Hill cemented his place as a regular in the Bath first team last season and was voted the club's forward of the season in the 2022-23 campaign. Bath have started the new Premiership campaign with two bonus points wins from two and sit top of the table, but Hill will unfortunately now be sidelined for the rest of 2023. And now the uh, football. The Hellenic League have named Worcester City as their team of the month in the Premier Division after they completed a perfect October. City won all four of their league matches to take their spot at the top of the Premier table, as well as winning their two cup games against Colm Town in the Wiseman Lighting Cup and Sleaford Town in the FA Vars on Saturday. In that run, City have scored 20 goals across their six games, including 14 in the league, to see them overtake early pace setters Corsham Town at the Hellenic Liga Premier Summit. Whilst it has been a successful month for the team, it was also a good couple of weeks for City's and the league's top goalscorer, Liam Lockett. Lockett, who returned to City in the summer, has 14 league goals in total and he ended the month with five goals in six games, with three of those coming in the Hellenic Premier. As October comes to an end, City remain in charge of the league. Whilst they are level on points with Caution, Worcester have three games in hand, one of which comes on Wednesday at Hereford Lads Club in the opening game of November. The next month will bring another six games, Another, after Wednesday's trip to Hereford, City return home to face Mangotsfield United on Saturday before Chris Corns' men go to Wolverhampton Casuals in the second round of the FA Vars. City then end the month with three tricky-looking league clashes with sides in the top half of the table, all of which are home. Royal Wooden Bassett Town, Slimbridge and Cinderford Town all come to Clane's Lane to try and topple the league leaders. And finally, the obituaries. And that is the end of our contribution for this week. Thank you very much for listening. The obituaries will follow the music. So just keep safe and until next time, goodbye. And now the obituaries. Sharp Barbara Ann of Warnden sadly passed away on 12th October. Her funeral is on the 7th of November at 10.45am at Worcester Crematorium, followed by refreshments at the Bull Fernhill Heath. Family flowers only, donations to Midlands Air Ambulance. All inquiries to Co-op Funeral Care Worcester. Smith Ray passed away peacefully on 13th of October.
Funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Friday 17th November at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please, but donations welcome, if desired, to Cancer Research UK, which may be left on the collection plate following the service or sent to Lee Russell Independent Funeral Director Stroitwich. Cowell, Thomas James Henry, passed away peacefully at home on Saturday the 14th of October. Funeral service to be held at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday 7th November at 10am. Family flowers only please, donations if desired to Diabetes UK. All inquiries to A.V. Band, St John's, Worcester. Jones, Jean Ney Draper, passed away peacefully on 15th October. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday 7th November at 2.30pm. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for Parkinson's UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, Worcester. Many thanks to the Redhill Nursing Home staff for their kind attention to her needs. Robinson, David William of Bromyard, former manager of Unity House Centre for the Physically Handicapped in Worcester, sadly passed away 17th October. The funeral service will take place at Hereford Crematorium on Tuesday the 14th at 2.15pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the Midlands Air Ambulance. Inquiries to Emma Boston Funeral Services, Bromyard. Linda Jane, known as Lynn Collins, of Breedenbury, Herefordshire, passed away peacefully at St Michael's Hospice on Thursday the 19th of October. The funeral service will take place at Hereford Crematorium on Saturday the 11th of November at 11am. Floral tributes or donations if desired for St Michael's Hospice. Inquiries to Emma Booston Funeral Services, Bromyard. Beryl Tennant Broomfield passed away on October the 19th. Funeral to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the November the 6th at 3.15pm. Family flowers only by request, but donations, if desired, to Midlands Air Ambulance can be left at the crematorium or sent to Worcester Funeral Services, Kilbury Drive, Worcester. Philip Edward Mound passed away on the 19th of October. His family will attend a private funeral on Thursday the 9th of November. All inquiries to Holland Funeral Directors, Malvern. And finally, Malcolm John Wright, May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. 19th of November 1954 to the 23rd of October 2023. Born in Oldham, died in Worcester Royal Infirmary after a painful illness. Church warden at St Martin's in the Corn Market, Worcester. We send our best wishes to the family and friends of the recently departed at this very difficult time. 